Welcome to the Souls Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soulishchurch.com. Well, I get to have the, the last verses. It's like the drop the mic verses <laughs> of uh, Philippians here. So... <clears throat> Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Mm -hmm. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with you, who are with me, greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you. Amen. Amen. This is the word of God to which we say. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for the gift of your word this morning. We just open up first this space as a place for your word to come forth, God. We invite your word. Not your word from a man, but your word from heaven. Holy Spirit, on Pentecost Sunday, we expect and we invite you to fall on us. Together we say, Come, Holy Spirit. We're your people. We don't belong to ourselves. We don't belong to an organization. We don't just belong to a country. We belong to you, the living God. Our lives are yours, and we want to create space in our hearts today for your spirit to fall and move and work. And So, God, that's my heart. That's my hope. I, I'm, I have a sermon I've prepared. I have efforts. I have desires. But I just want to subject even myself to your Holy Spirit. I don't want to get in the way of what you want to do. And so, God, would you speak to us today? That's our prayer. Lord, would you use me to speak to us? We, we say, speak, Lord, for your servants here. And we, we thank you for the book of Philippians and all that you've taught us through it. And now as we conclude it, may you teach us one last time through this book. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Can we honor Lynn? Thank her for reading. Appreciate that. Well, Interesting stuff here. These are our four verses at the end of this incredible book that Paul pens, remember, from prison. Paul planted the church at Philippi some 10 to 12 years prior to writing this letter. It's an incredible story of God's work through a church plant um, in Acts 16. Incredible thing worth reading. Uh, Paul plants this church and has a special fatherly heart towards them. 10 or 12 or so years later, he's in a prison cell in Rome, and he is writing to them this letter from jail as both a thank you card for their generosity towards his ministry, but also as a word of encouragement to rejoice in the Lord despite what circumstances may come their way. Remember, we've entitled this series Extraordinary. This is really what the book of Philippians is all about. It's about living a life that is beyond the limits of what's ordinary. It's what Jesus leads us into. For a life that isn't just limited by circumstances, a life that is lived beyond those limits. And, and Paul is, is certainly writing about this as he's kind of giving the, the church this theme that they are heavenly citizens in the world that they're in. They're not bound to just the things of this earth. But he's also modeling it as he is writing as, you could say, not an ordinary prisoner, right? He's an extraordinary prisoner li- living this life above what's normal. Uh, he is in jail thinking about others and how he can serve those even in his time of suffering. And so we've been kind of going through the themes of this book and together believing that this isn't just for our study. You know, as a church, we've got to always remind us about this because a lot of us have spent too much time 
in church. I don't mean that in a good way. I mean that in like a dangerous way to where we become so good at hearing sermons. It's like all we ever do. But we got to remind ourselves that the purpose of studying a book like Philippians is not just to learn some new things. But we believe this, that Jesus ultimately is the chief shepherd of the church. He's our shepherd. He's our senior pastor. And he's the one leading us and speaking to us and feeding us. And so whenever we study a book like Philippians, we believe that whatever's in this book, listen, it's where God wants to take us. It's who he's calling us to be together, each individually and also collectively. So that's what we've been after together. And, and just as a kind of a closing word to this series, we're looking this morning at Paul's final words to this church. If you'd like to take notes, why don't you write this down for a sermon title this morning. The title of the message is simply, Farewell, Philippi. Farewell, Philippi. That's what we have here with Paul. We have his farewell address. I grew up in in big church, mega church life, and, and my, I had a really popular mom who was, was kind of like a, a spiritual mother in, in the church of, of sorts, and, and so every time we went to church, it wasn't as simple as like, show up, and now farewell, we're leaving. Uh, we used to always say that like going out the door because of how many people my mom knew, our stomachs were grumbling, kind of kids pulling our mom's arm out the door. We used to always say it was the Barbara Lundy farewell tour every time she left church. Uh, here is Paul giving this final farewell to the church at Philippi. Uh, I want to begin with a question that kind of gets us more into this idea. I want you to think about your life. This is kind of a quirky, fun question. How do you say goodbye? How do you say goodbye? First, like think about that for a second. How do you literally say goodbye? Like what's your phrase? We've all got a different way to say goodbye. Goodbye. Some of you guys are love you, talk to you later kind of folks. See you later, alligator, maybe. Maybe you still are keeping that fresh and relevant. All right, some of you guys are, hey, talk soon. Okay, good to see you. We'll see you next time. Um, there's so many different ways to say goodbye. I, I've got like in my head um, on, on repeat the dude perfect YouTube ending. If you don't know about Dude Perfect, these guys, these dudes are perfect, man. They're awesome. They do these trick shot videos on YouTubes. They're, 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 did I just call it YouTubes? I'm 33. It's on YouTubes. You'll love it. They, they're these, these five believers, these brothers in Christ that make these really cool videos, and it's, it's great content for my kids to, if they're going to kind of be on the screen, it's great content for them. And they end every video with pound it, noggin, see ya. I just think of that like classic sign off. Maybe you have like a sign off. It's like how you say goodbye, and everybody knows you by it. I've, I've kind of been joked about my tendency to say adios at the end of every phone call or uh, even service. How do you say goodbye? Now, even over the phone, you'll see that we're all different, right? Every, even over the way that we hang up, everyone's different. You just look at, like, my wife and I. We're different in a lot of ways. But especially when it comes to ending that phone call, how we say goodbye, my wife is you could say maybe like some of you, she's a lot slower to say goodbye, right? Well, it was just so good to talk to you, and, and you know, I hope we can do this again sometime, and, and it's kind of like it's a farewell tour over the phone, and it's kind of this slow, okay, and, then, and like even the ending, okay, all right, okay, take care, <laughs> goodbye, see, you know, it's like... And maybe it's kind of my, like, aggressive personality. And I have a couple of friends like this, too. It's so different. I think of Drew. He just, just hung his head down. I joke about Drew. He's like Nicolas Cage gone in 60 seconds on the phone. Like, 
boom, boom. Like, and that's me, like me and Lee Bronco, we have that thing going. And we're never offended, right? Like, imagine me doing that with my bros. Okay, brother, well, take care. Good. No, I would never do that. So usually, like, the way that we say goodbye, me and a lot of my friends, is it's just like the second the phone call is done, like, we don't have anything else to talk about. In fact, you don't even have to say bye. Just hang up. Like, we're done. Like, we have other things to get to now. I can't waste time, okay? Redeem, Got to redeem the time. We all say goodbye differently. Um, you know, there's something to the art of a good bye. Something to the art of a goodbye, of saying it well. Goodbyes can be challenging. Now, not just because some of us are awkward. There's that, right? You ever had the awkward goodbye? You know, it's like, oh, their car's parked next to us. And now we have to walk with them, right? It's so good to see you. And, like, you, what you really want to do is gossip about them with your wife on the way to the car? No, not us, right? Or, like, whatever, you know, or you really, you like, you kind of want this separation, but now you got to kind of walk awkwardly next to them. And so uh, there, there's the awkward goodbyes. Now, that's obviously one reason why goodbyes could be hard. But in a more serious, uh, sober sense, Good God, goodbyes could be um, hard, especially if it, it has to do with some serious separation that's going to follow. I mean like a real goodbye. Like if we could joke about hard goodbyes. But, you know, life, if you think about it, looking ahead, what's so hard about life? There's going to be a lot of hard goodbyes. If you haven't already had to say some hard goodbyes. Um, and I, I don't even just mean the loss of a loved one. It could be the loss of a relationship. It could be the loss of... You know, having friends move, it's such a, you know, it's such a hard part about church life. Is that, you know, and South Florida has its own transience that's kind of changing a little bit right now. But, you know, even a church, there's people that God brings in and brings out. And just saying goodbye uh, can be hard. I think of a guy in our church that we said goodbye to last week who I just love so very much and likely won't see for a good amount of time. You know, there, there's just hard goodbyes. I think that's where Paul would fall in here in Philippians chapter 4. This is a hard goodbye. We can't just rush over these verses. We've got to sit with Paul in the prison for a second and feel what he's feeling. He calls this church his joy and his crown, and he's saying farewell. He's giving his final goodbye. And it's important to notice that, that Paul doesn't know if he's ever going to see this church again. He talked about that in chapter 2. History tells us actually that he doesn't. This is his first of many other imprisonments that will follow before his martyrdom. And so this is a real hard goodbye. Now what's interesting about what Paul says in his farewell to this church is the words that he uses. I want you to think about this. Paul thinks carefully about his goodbye. This is a goodbye. Paul thinks, he thinks intentionally about what his final farewell is going to be to this church. These, these final words, even though we read them a lot with Paul, th this isn't Paul just kind of cycling through trivial phrases, you know, pleasantries. Okay, talk to you later, bye. You know, he's not saying some final things as he's hanging up the phone. He is inspired by the Holy Spirit in this farewell. He is speaking even God's truth, intentionally picking out what he's saying in his goodbye. Now, there's no central theme to what he says other than it's a part of his farewell. But there are four specific theme, themes that come up in this farewell that we're going to have the Holy Spirit teach us about this morning. Is that cool? that cool? Good. All right. Uh, there's four themes in Paul's farewell to Philippi. Let's look at each of them. The first theme that we see is this theme, you could write this down, of 
upward glory. This is the first direction that Paul goes in his farewell. We're going to see four directions. The first direction is this direction of upward glory. Where is that? Well, it's in the verse that we read there in verse 20. Paul says, Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Someone say, Amen. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is how Paul begins to end his letter. This is how Paul begins to say farewell. He begins with upward glory. Now what makes this doxology, which is what it is, it's a word of praise to God. Now to our God, uh, he, he uses this same kind of language throughout many of his letters to express praise to God. What makes this word from Paul so significant is the context that it falls in. If you remember chapter 4, verse 19 that we looked at last week, Paul is declaring a theological truth about God's faithfulness. In Philippians 4, 19, he says that my God is going to supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. That's what he says to this church. They're a church that have, have lived radically generous lives, and Paul wants them to know what Charles Spurgeon said, that no man is the poorer for having given unto God. That a life lived generously is a life secure in God's faithful provision. There's no need to worry if you're living upwardly towards the goodness of God. Now, this truth about God's faithful provision, I want you to see this. It's the thing that provoked Paul's praise. That This theological truth, that theology translated into doxology, worship, and praise. This is amazing. Paul's in a prison cell. And there's just something about God that becomes fresh on his mind. You ever had that happen? The Holy Spirit illuminates your mind with a truth about God. But it's so significant. And, and your eyes are so open. And it's so fresh on your mind that it moves to your heart. And it makes you go, wow, God, you are so good. I give you all the glory. Now, let me say this. This is what theology should produce. Okay? Uh, Jesus talks about this in, in terms of what upward glory and true worship looks like. In John 4, 24, there's this really beautiful paradigm uh, and framework that Jesus uses to describe a, a life whose worship and, and glorifying of God is actually glorifying God. He says this, that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, you have both realities at play here. We must worship him in doxology, sincere worship of God, passionate, heartfelt praise of our God, but it also must be compounded with truth. That's theology. Um, most of, of the issues I think that we can find today in our worship are, are usually with the gain of one and the loss of the other here. For a lot of us, the issue isn't so much that we need to be more like Paul in that we need to be more spirit-filled in our theology and more, and more passionate about what we're learning. But maybe it's the other way around where we're very passionate. Our worship is like God is spirit. I worship him in spirit, school spirit, Jesus spirit. I got the spirit. Like we got all the spirit you could ever need. God, here I am passionate about you. But if there's not an, a theological anchor to what's true and who God is, that passionate spirit is going to get caught up in the wind. I've seen it a lot. If there's not something that you're rooted in that's true about God, spirituality in and of itself is not going to lead us to the truth of God. We need a revelation. We need God's word. We need what's theologically true. So, so we don't just want spirit. 
You know, wow, that, that's so passionate. That's so great. You know what? I really felt something in that song. I don't doubt that you felt something, but test the spirits. Is it of God? Is it aligned with God's word? Is there theology and truth? We need to worship God in truth. Now, for those of you right now who are like, amen, brother, preach it, theology. Maybe you need to hear more of the opposite. Maybe for you, all the truth of God is, is just information. And you need to be more like Paul. You need to be someone that, that anytime something fresh about God is in your mind, like if you're used to just talking about the things of God without actually feeling something genuine, without actually saying, well, God, you are, in my life, I see that you're good because of this truth. There's a disconnection there. And Jesus said true wor worship is made up of a combination of both theological truth and spirit-filled, sincere praise and worship. Here's a little equation to kind of make sense of this. Uh, we could say doxology, spirit-filled worship, uh, subtracting theology can subtly become idolatry. we got to be careful. There's even Christian, quote, forms of idolatry, where if what we're worshiping is just out of our assumptions that's just kind of been caught in our cultures, we got to be careful that we're not worshiping a version of God that contradicts his word. Okay? So doxology without theology, without the truth of God's word, worship of God without the truth of God can subtly lead us to idolatry, worshiping someone um, that's not the God of scripture but is the God of our own imagination or creation. And we don't ever want to be there. Additionally, you can have theology without Doxology, that's what, what we're kind of talking about here. And you just end up in dead orthodoxy. You know, big head, tiny heart club. And certainly that's not what Jesus wants at all. What Jesus is hoping for in his people, what he is glorified most in is a lot like what we see here in Paul. You have theology, the truth of God, combined together with a heart of doxology and praise, and that leads us to God's glory. Truly worshiping God in spirit and truth. So that's what Paul says. First, we have this, this first theme of upward glory. He, he begins his farewell by saying, now to our God and Father, I want you to catch this too, be glory forever and ever. Notice the timeline there. It just keeps going. There, there's something about being in a position like Paul where you're in a prison cell that can feel like forever. And you remember, hold on, this trial isn't forever. God's glory is forever. The idea is what I'm going through right now is temporary. It's amazing what theology and doxology, it's amazing what spirit-filled, true worship can do in your time of need, in your time of trial, in your imprisonment. Are you going through something hard right now? Do you feel a bit imprisoned by your circumstances? Try Paul. Try what he does here. He says, now to our God, whatever I'm going through, your glory is going to be forever. I'm going to worship you in this moment. I'm going to worship you even in this prison cell, forever and ever. This is a theological truth in and of itself, that every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess to the glory of the Father, forever and ever. There's no use investing in temporary glory that's just going to bow before the glory of God. As Christians, we are those who recognize that we are tempted to live for our own glory, we are those who are drawn to our own praise and our own fame and our own thing. But we say that though that temptation is there, the glory of God is better. So we're going to spend our lives on that eternal glory. We're going to do all things for the glory of God. What a great way to think. What a great way to live. You're so captivated by the glory of God in Christ 
that you say, I'm going to do all things for him to be glorified. Father, be glorified. That's what Jesus prayed. Be glorified in my life. There's some, there, there, there's some power to that when you start your day like that. God, be glorified in me today. Just pray that. What a simple prayer. Good morning, Lord. Would you be glorified in me? It's amazing what that can do, the, the dividends that that can, can produce. So, so Paul begins with upward glory. Now, he, he moves from upward glory to another direction. Write this next one down. He goes to outward greeting. I love this. This is interesting. He goes from upward glory. That's one theme. The second part of his farewell to this church of Philippi is this outward greeting. Now he's moving outward, and he says this, Philippians 4.21, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. He's talking to the church of Philippi. He's like, say hi to everyone. I love that. Just say hi to everybody. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the guys with me, they also say hi. And I love this last part. Where is it? There it is. Verse 22. And all the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. So, so I, this is a, a really interesting thing. Like, you've ever had this happen where you're on the phone with someone, and, and someone's with you, and like, who are you on the phone with? And you're like, oh, it's, uh, it's Cherise. <laughs> I've got to prepare better. Sorry. Um, Cherise, you know. And, and like, oh, my gosh, tell Cherise. I said, hi, you know, and who's that? You know, and like, and it goes back and forth. And it's like, oh, my gosh, all these people are in these two places. And they're saying, so that's kind of what's happening. Like, Paul's writing a letter. And, they're, and the brethren are like, tell them we said hey. Isn't that awesome? Paul's like, you got it. They said hey. You know, I love that. So, so there's this beautiful thing happening. And so he says, greet every saint there. And then in the next verse, did you notice that he kind of unpacks it a little bit more? He says, all the saints greet you. So, so what do you have happening? You have all the saints in one church, passionate about greeting. This is crazy. This is so foreign to us, I feel like. All the saints in one church being like, you're right. So they're in Philippi. Back then, church wasn't as popular and cool and normal. Okay, We weren't desensitized to the family of Christ as much. Back then, it was like, wait, wait, wait. They're in Rome, and the church is like, there's another church in Philippi? Tell them we said, hey. Isn't that amazing? That they were like so intrigued with the, with the fact. They were so like passionate about there being other brothers and sisters in another church in another city far away. That all the seats in one, uh, saints in one church wanted to greet all the saints in the other church. There is this outward greeting. There's this outward direction of the Christian life. What a beautiful thing. Now, um. I, this would be, I mean, I love to see this. It's cool. Like, I've been on mission trips where you have, like, one church from one country visit another church from another country, and that certainly happens. And, but, like, what we're trying to do is just, like, start with that here. You know what I mean? Like, it's one thing to be like, we greet the church over there. But, like, what we want to start with is, like, let's greet each other, you know? Like, it's one thing to be like, there's Christians in that state. There's Christians in your city. Like, let's start there. There's this outward sort of posture that we see the early church have that's so beautiful. You know, it's something that we have been having to really uh, pursue God and, and disciple into our culture as a church. You know, we just believe that God is an outward-facing God. He lives for his glory, and that glory and that love pushes him outward to send his son. It's out of his great love for us that he sends his son, Jesus. And you see Jesus, when he lives his life, he doesn't live his life reduced to whatever Myers-Briggs you know, number he gets or whatever Enneagram he is. You see Jesus, compelled by the love of God, live an outward-facing life. 
He's not inward. He's not reclused. He's not, he's not you know, tied up in himself. He's outward facing. What a great vision for who we can grow in as a community, just to become outward facing people. And what a like, simple application. Like, if there's a spiritual principle and point that I want you to write down from this point today, it's this. Say hi more. Say hi more. Have an outward-facing posture. Now, I'm not, no, let's, let's stop for a second. All you introverts are like, okay. two-minute mingle. Oh, yeah, what a mingle. We're like two-minute purgatory, you know. Um, we don't believe in purgatory here at Souls Church. Okay. It's an official statement. Um, let me say this, okay? To be outward-facing doesn't mean that you have to become outgoing. That's not the same thing. It doesn't mean change your personality, okay? You don't have to be outgoing to go out of your comfort zone. In fact, you have to be human, right? You have to be someone compelled as, as someone with love for someone enough to not just think inward but to go outward. So what would that look like for you to just be a, a more outward-facing follower of Jesus just within our community here? Maybe for, for, for a while you've been coming here and you just feel like nobody's been pursuing you. And I get that. That can be tough. It can be intimidating to come into like a, a church our size. Is almost, it's almost as intimidating as coming to a very large church where you could just kind of be another you know, face in the sea, right? But it can be tough where you're coming week after week and you want to get to know someone. And, and if you're here like for the first time, this is not for you, okay? We are going to be outward facing hopefully and love you, okay? But if you're someone that's like, I've been here and I've been coming and I just kind of feel like I'm not being pursued, I would just have you flip that and go, how are you pursuing? Are you approaching others? Who have you invited out for coffee? Like that's a simple one. That's a, Christians love coffee, right? Let's go do that. Get dinner. H have you opened up your home? Have you showed biblical hospitality as God calls you to? Approach. Let the love of Christ drive you to go out of your comfort zone, to not be this inward-facing, self-conscious person, but to see the love of God in Christ so cause you to go, I'm going to love that person out of my comfort zone. I'm going to go out and into love to love on them. And I think there's kind of a two-way part to this. Like I, When I was thinking about this, it's like there, there's a way to be outward in, in approaching, and I think there's a way to be outward in how you're approachable, too. Can I say that? Like, this, this is convicting, right? Because sometimes we don't know, like, the faces we wear. You know what I mean? Which basically just says, like, beware of dog. Like, you know, don't come. Like, don't tread on me. Like, face, you know? Like, um, we got to be careful. Like, just about our... But, like, sometimes, guys, it's, it's amazing what body language can communicate. It's amazing how we can communicate the gospel even and how our body language says, like, I love you, I care for you, I'm looking in your eyes. Think of Peter and John at that temple called Beautiful where they looked the man in the eyes. They were outward facing. So a little challenge for us. might have annoyed you introverts a little bit, but hey, you got to take it up with Paul, all right? He, he, he expresses this picture of the church being outward facing. Like, and I, I really think this is the result of us, and it's been awesome, by the way, let me back up, because that was kind of like an exhortation. I, I want to give an encouragement, too. It's been really cool to see the love of Jesus transform our church, to become this authentic community that seems to really care for other people than just ourselves. It's been really beautiful to see the different groups form and the family form, and, and we just want more and more and more of that. We want to create an environment here that when someone comes in, it's like, yeah, great preaching, cool, great worship, cool, great environment. No, I'm loved here. 
People actually care about me, not because I'm, you know, making their numbers go up with filling seats in their bank account. That's not what we're after. We're after love. And we want people to sense that. So let's keep growing in that outward-facing posture that our very God has. Amen? Amen? All right, good. Onward gospel, write this next one down. Upward glory, outward greeting. And then Paul talks about this onward gospel. This gospel that's continuing to advance the kingdom of God on and on and on. Let me back up for a second. Let's look at this verse we just read. You might have missed something really significant. As Paul is greeting this church, he says, all the saints greet you. Now, I want you to notice this remarkable phrase that is almost the sole reason why I chose to study these last verses and not just read them to us last week. Paul says, "Greet all the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. This is a hidden gem in the book of Philippians. Um, I read some interesting commentaries on this. What is Paul saying here? Now, where is Paul? He's in Rome. He's he's imprisoned because he has contradicted Caesar's evangelion, Caesar's gospel. What's Caesar? What's Rome's gospel? Well, Well, Rome's gospel is Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. And Paul comes on the scene and he goes, no, he's not. Jesus is Lord. And at the, at the name of Jesus, everybody's going to bow. Caesar too. Caesar's throne. Paul communicated this message that said, uh, Caesar's kingdom is the parody to which God's kingdom is the reality. So Paul preached and it got him into trouble. It got him imprisoned. He's writing this letter because he, what we talked about last week, a life well lived, preaching Jesus and getting into trouble. And this is where he found himself. He found himself in prison. And, and we, we get back to, to Philippians 1, Paul's perspective. Remember this in chapter 1 a few months ago? Paul says this. He's in prison for, for preaching the gospel, and he wants to assure those that are worried, and he wants to assure those who are like, oh, no, your circumstances, Paul, are limiting the work of the gospel. Like, I can think that way almost cynically, like kind of the, the, the worst question to say, but like, if I were God, right, like, I wouldn't want Paul imprisoned. I would just open up every prison gate because Paul was a preaching machine, right? He was like a farmer sowing seed everywhere. So, so God, why would you imprison him and keep that work from happening? And maybe there was a, a, some Christians that were thinking that. Oh, no, the work of God is now limited because the word of God, they thought, was in chains. Which Paul says it, it cannot be chained. Uh, but he says in Philippians 1, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually, I love this, turned out. Look how God turns things out for the furtherance of the gospel. Being in prison, has trans- this prison has become a platform for the gospel. My ministry has actually grown since this circumstance. He says in verse 13, he says, It has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. So, so Paul saw his misery as a, a setup for ministry. He saw his imprisonment as an opportunity to boast in the Jesus that he was imprisoned for. So that they're going around kind of like the classic, what are you in for, you know? What'd you do, all right? What's your crime? And Paul's like, I'm so glad you asked. Let me tell you about him, right? And so the gospel begins to spread. Now, we don't exactly know the fruit, uh, the numerical fruit. We don't have a, any names or, or, or anyone, but here's what we have at the end of Philippians. Paul goes, Especially the saints who are of Caesar's household greet you. Now, hold on. 
Many scholars believe that this was Paul's way of safely communicating that the gospel has been spreading within the, ki the kingdom of Caesar without having to name drop anyone and get them in trouble. He's like, everyone says hi, especially those in Caesar's household, right? Isn't that so cool? Look at the spread of the gospel, Paul's saying, right? It's like you, you write from, from L.A., and you're like, man, the gospel is spreading, and, and a lot of my friends greet you, especially the ones in Hollywood that got saved, okay? Like, it's this way of subtly but powerfully communicating the fact that the gospel of Jesus just needs to be unleashed in all its power in our lives. That when, that when, we, when we don't confine what God wants to do, but we open up our hearts and our minds, we make ourselves available to all that God can and will do through the power of the gospel, miraculous things happen. Miraculous things happen. He says, even in Caesar's household, we have new Christians. Now, I think this is so cool, and I think this is so contradictory to how a lot of us can, can think about the spread of the gospel. Or we should say the building of God's kingdom, because that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about the work of, of what God, what is God doing in this world right now? He's building his kingdom. There's been a hijacking of his kingdom. Sin has broken the unity between this world and God's kingdom. And Jesus has come to reinstate. He's come to bring that kingdom here to earth, to establish and inaugurate that kingdom. One day he's going to consummate that work. And, and there's a day in Revelation that says that all the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of the Lord our God. And here in the meantime, God is, is advancing his kingdom. Think about like, a, like an empire that's spreading territory. But it's not just geographical, it's also universal. It's through all time. It's this work that God is doing. He will establish for all eternity of spreading his kingdom, spreading his rule and his reign. Now, how does he do that? He's spreading his kingdom through his people, through its citizens, through the church. Now, what's amazing about what Paul is saying here is this is, I think, so different how we can often think about the work of the gospel to expand God's kingdom. I think for a lot of us, our mindset is, you know, the church or the world, they have their kingdoms over here. But the church, we got to build our kingdom over here. You know, we got to be away from the kingdoms of this world. That's dark over there. we got to get together. This little light of mine, okay? We're just going to burn each other with our lights over here alone with our lights. And what's the purpose of light? It's to illuminate darkness. And what a contra uh, contrasting vision you have with Paul. Paul is building the kingdom of God within the kingdoms of this world. The kingdom of God is advancing within uh, Caesar's kingdom. Isn't that amazing? Like, so so what, would, what would that look like for you to begin to see where you are right now? As dark as it is. As difficult as it is. As as contrary as it is to the kingdom of God. What, what would it look like for you to begin to... Make yourself more available and say, God, it's, I'm not boasting in me. I'm just an earthen vessel. But, but God, what is, how can your gospel be unleashed here in this context? How can I be an ambassador for your kingdom? I've heard it said, well, that, that the church, if you think about what the nature of the church is, we're like a military outpost in enemy territory. That's where we are. And we're called to just spread. We're ambassadors of that kingdom of God. What a great way to think about the onward gospel. All right, last one. The last one we see from Paul is this idea of inward grace. How do you say goodbye? How does Paul say goodbye? His farewell to Philippi in this passage, it begins with upward glory. Paul knows whose glory his whole life is for. And that glory that he gives to God, it is made up of theological truth that translates to doxological praise from his heart, spirit, and truth. 
Paul's not just faced upward. We also see this picture of, of Christians being faced outward, caring in love about someone else enough to go out of my comfort zone, whether or not I'm outgoing. We see this idea of an onward gospel, that as we live as a missional community sent right where we are, we have this opportunity to build the kingdom of God, not outside of the kingdoms of this world, retreating in our subcultures, but by infiltrating the enemy's camp and by building up the kingdom of God even here on this earth. Wherever you are, that's your vocation, that's your neighborhood, that's where you spend your life. And, and then you have the final words. Paul's last words that he likely has ever spoken to this church. And I want you to notice what it is. He says, the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. May the grace, this is a prayer he prays over them. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, this is remarkable. Um, I, I want to I point out, and I want you to notice how Paul doesn't end his letter. He's given a lot of great encouragements. Philippians has been filled with all sorts of different exhortations of how the church should be living or ought to be living, and the peace that God calls us to and rejoicing. And Paul has all of this instruction. He gives all of this direction. And notice how he doesn't end his letter. He doesn't end all that he said with, now go do your best. Go try harder. Go be better. Look within and discipline yourself enough to be what the book of Philippians describes. That's not his hope for the Christian. That's not the hope for your life either. The hope that Paul has for this church, living out everything he has exhorted them with, is the grace of Jesus being with them. His hope for them is now with all that you've heard, here is the hope of living according to it. It's not in you, it's in Christ. Now may the grace of God be with you. Now, now this is a great summary of the whole Christian faith, first and foremost. Our standing before God is based on his grace and his grace alone. We don't stand before God based on the good things we've done or the bad things we've stopped doing, nor on the flip side do we stand before God because we didn't do the good things and we should have, or we've done the bad things. Our identity is in what Jesus has done from top to bottom, from start to finish. We are fully and wholly in him through grace, both now and forever. And that's the important part there, not just then, but also now. Grace is not just for the thing that, you know, you quote Ephesians 2, I've been saved by grace through faith, and, but here I am, and I'm, I'm, I'm falling short still, and I'm trying to, you know, and we use this phrase like, oh, they fell from grace. You ever heard that? Which is actually from the Bible. It's Galatians. But what's interesting is when Paul says that, that Christians are falling from grace, he's not saying that they're sinning, because Paul would just say, hey, they're being human. But to say they've fallen from grace is this idea that they are seeking to justify themselves. They're seeking to base their relationship with God on their performance rather than what God has done for them. So, so you have two places that you can live your life. You, you can live your life in your own works. You can live your life on your own performance. It can be all about you, and you can have this vision of God as him standing at the finish line waiting to see if you have enough in you to make it, which will lead to burnout on the second lap. Or you can position yourself in this place of grace where the waterfall of God's favor freely flows to the cross of Jesus 
and you stand before him despite all the good things you've done and despite all the bad things you've done. You just stand before him in Christ. And that's your identity. That's who you are. Paul said this. He says, I am what I am by the grace of God. It's God's grace that defines me. And there's a big shift that happens to go from here to here. And the shift happens when we behold Christ in the gospel. When we see all that. Listen, we, we, got, we just got to get a better vision of how awesome Jesus is. And we're like, that's sufficient. I'll take that. That grace works much better than my efforts and my attempts. And, and I want you to see that this is what Paul is ending with. This is what he's sending the church out with. He's saying that same grace that has saved you is sufficient to sustain you. It's sufficient to fuel you when you feel empty. It's the hope of you living the Christian life. Don't think of grace as just God's unmerited favor. Think of it also as God's divine assistance coming alongside of you, giving you the strength you don't have in and of yourself. So I'd ask you this morning, do you need grace? Anybody feel that? It's like, ah, I need some grace, you know? Do you need some grace to cover over your mistakes and your sin? You've been trying to do it yourself with enough guilt. Maybe if I have enough guilt, I'll cover over the bad things I've done. It's never going to work. You can't wash away your sin. Nothing can wash away your sin but the blood of Jesus, but the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, do you need some grace today, not just to cover you, but maybe you're like, I can't keep going anymore. Maybe you're tired you're exhausted. You need grace. You need a fresh wind on this Pentecost Sunday of the grace of God to fill your sail, to be your hope, to be your power, to be your strength. And you can say like Paul, man, in and of myself, I can do nothing apart from him, but I can do all things through the grace of Christ, which gives me strength. So let's open up our hearts to grace on this Sunday morning. As we go into our week, we say, God, fill us with your spirit. Empower us with your grace. And, and here as I close, um, we're, we're not going to close with a song, actually. We're gonna, I'm going to close us in prayer. I want to pray over our church here. Uh, and this is what I want to pray over us. I want to pray that this is true in our hearts in regards to what we've learned here in Philippians. The last word that Paul says is amen. Let it be. God, let all that you have for me come to pass in my life. Maybe I've been pushing what you have for me away. I'm coming back saying more of you through your grace. Amen. Amen? Hey, would you stand with me? I want to pray over you. Father, thank you for this community. Father, thank you for a day like Pentecost Sunday to remember, God, that, that, Lord, you are not waiting for us to get to you, but as we wait upon you, your spirit falls, and you give us everything we need. Your word says for us to come boldly to your throne of grace, and we do that right now. We come to you together, God, as those that that we truly want to be more th uh, than, than just a community that knows Philippians, God. We want to be those that are living in your way. And for that, we come to your throne right now. We open up our hearts, we open up our lives to your grace, grace that only comes through your son, Jesus. And we ask, Holy Spirit, fill us with that grace. Give us what we need to, for our lives to say amen to your word, to live upward, outward, onward, and empowered inward by your grace, Lord. We invite your grace into our lives to cover over our sin and mistakes. Lord, I sense there's someone here that hasn't surrendered to you. 
they've been wandering from your grace. Maybe they have been abusing your grace and their heart isn't surrendered. God, I pray that they wouldn't leave here without taking a moment to give themselves fully to you, to see how you've given up everything for them. We know your gospel is the good news of the fact, God, that we have all sinned and fall short of your glory. But God, in your love, you sent your son Jesus to become sin on our behalf so that we can stand in grace in you, so that we can be forgiven, so that we could confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and be saved. So God, would you save us? Would you save us again? Fill us with your spirit. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.